Chase, you got a copy, Chase. Yeah, go ahead. Eleven months gone. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. Solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. This Chase. Welcome to the first episode of KazerCast. I'm your host, Jace Kazer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chloe Lighty. First of all, we're just going to explain what KazerCast is going to be about. Uh, our goal for this podcast is to cover a wide range of things. Uh, we'll mainly focus on blasting, liquid coating, and powder coating, because that's what we know best with Kazer blasting and coatings. Uh, we'll also talk about some of our social media marketing as this podcast is a part of our own social media marketing and we have a division of our company that's brand new that just started called Kaiser Craft where we're trying to help others with their social media marketing we're not experts by any means but as we've um, started to do social media we've learned some tricks and tips and so we're been trying to help out other small businesses like us with their social media because usually small businesses struggle with that. Um, we're going to try to have a lot of open conversations. We'll have some quirky stuff that we do. Usually every episode we're going to try to have uh, a main bulk topic that we talk about. Could be uh, industry related for like the coding industry. Uh, may, it might be social media related. Uh, could be something totally different. Um, I'm into racing. We may bring in some racing guests and talk to them. Uh, Chloe's into arts, so we may have a full episode on that. So whatever we can do to add value to our listeners, and somehow we'll usually try to tie it back to what we do day-to-day -day at our jobs. Um, we're going to try to get some interviews with customers and sales reps and industry leaders as we kind of grow this podcast and people get more interested in it. And um, we're going to try to get some regulars on here to help with tech tips on pre-treatment and powder coating and maybe even some social media stuff too. So we're just going to kind of see where this goes. Um, I want to bring in Chloe now a little bit. She's going to talk about the Kazercraft. How are you doing this morning, Chloe? I'm great, and I'm happy to be here. So you've been with Kazer for a couple years now, and mm -hmm. you started with social media and now you do a multitude of different things so your hands are always full but you really are still focused on social media mainly can you talk to us just a little bit about Kazercraft and and what you're doing with that and why does the social media excite you how's it i guess how is it different than doing social media for our blasting and powder coating and then when we're doing it for other customers now with Kazercraft, how has that been different for you is that exciting Absolutely. So um, is it fair to say that when you and I started this little adventure back in, was it 2018? Um, I don't think either of us really envisioned it going this far. Do you? Uh, probably not. I always am planning to conquer the world. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I Right at the very beginning, no. But then after we uh -huh. started doing it, I just noticed that like wow this actually this mark this works we never mm -hmm. really did that much marketing before it's easy um relatively because mm -hmm. just from our generation we're, we're used to using social media and it's really really cheap advertising and marketing so i um, mean you can reach a lot of different people so once i started seeing the benefit for us then i kind of started thinking about mainly just the other small businesses that that we do business with already and mm -hmm. um, 
it got me thinking like, man, they could really benefit from having a social media presence. Most of them don't. Yeah. And so yep. then that's kind of where I think I kind of got the idea of Kazercraft. Yeah. And, and I think uh, you're really good in like social media and, and like being creatives, right? Yep. So I think the biggest discovery for me over this journey is just how little it takes to really grow your presence, right? You need somebody who has the technical knowledge, which in our partnership is you. And then you need to have somebody with, you know, the excitement for the creative side of it and for, you know, maintaining conversations in the comments and just being there, um, which tends to be me. And so I think a lot of people, um, especially when they're managing a small business and they have their hands full and they have a lot going on, social media just winds up being one more thing on an already very long list of tasks on their desks. And I think the purpose, and correct me if, if you feel differently, but I think Kazercraft, it's the two of us and we bring this like do-it-yourself mentality. We bring this, you know, it's not as hard as it seems mentality. I think we're scrappy. Um, I think we're creative. I think we've done a lot with a little, and I think we want to help other businesses do the same. Definitely. Absolutely. And, um, and that's kind of why we're doing this podcast. So that's why we're talking about Kazercraft quite a bit. Um, for those of you who are just brand new to this, listen to us for the first time, never heard of us before. Kazer Blasting and Coatings is a division of Kazer Painting. Um, Kazer Painting Incorporated started back with in 1987, my parents started the company as a residential painting company, so painting houses, and then it grew into commercial painting, and it still runs today, mostly new uh, commercial construction, and they do anything that has to do with painting on those projects, interior and exterior painting. We started Kaser Blasting and Coatings in 2004 with uh, blasting and liquid coating with a couple large booths and then powder coating in 2014. So more details are on our website at kazerblasting.com if you want to check that out. Um, we're mainly set up to do job shop type work. We have some of the biggest facilities in the Lincoln and surround Lincoln, Nebraska and surrounding area. So we kind of specialize in the bigger stuff that nobody else can do. Um, and then kind of leading into our a little bit of why we started Kazercraft and it kind of ties into our, our main topic. We're going to talk about teams today and communication. Uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to start Kazercraft, and I don't know if Chloe knows this, but I've really in the last year or so, eight to 12 months probably have been starting to think about what team members really like to do in trying to take the business in the direction that our team members want to go and what they're skilled with and what they enjoy instead of making them do jobs that they don't enjoy. And so since I, Chloe has been really interested in social media from the beginning, that's how she started working with Kaiser. I wanted to build on that. So then it naturally made sense for her to do more social media work. We didn't need it more for Kaiser, but if we brought in clients, that could be helpful. Did you know that that's why I kind of wanted to start that? I did not. Right. So yeah. I she, learned something. She is, uh, gets really excited about creating content. So that's awesome. So to keep this conversation going, we're going to talk about what I had to fix this week. <laughs> the There's always something isn't there. Yeah. So, uh, this week was a tough one for multiple reasons, but, um, partway through the week, we realized that we had something going wrong with our large oven. And we had, you could smell that there was like maybe a little burnt smell. And then I was inspecting around the burner a little bit more and you could see, you could look up at it and there's a, a gap where the burner should be touching the side of the, the, uh, burner box and you could actually see the flame and it was kind of every once in a while it would kind of like come out instead of going into the burner box. Um, so that was a very big problem. And in order to fix that, um, you have to take the whole burner assembly apart. It takes a while, so it's not something that you can really do quickly in the middle of a day. Otherwise, the oven is down. Uh, luckily, well, we had spare parts. And last night, we ended up getting that fixed. So uh, on Friday evening after work, we sh shut everything down. Had to wait for the oven to cool down and then got in there and am I Am I remembering correctly that you and your dad built the oven? 
Yes, with a couple, with help from other people as well. But yeah, a couple mm -hmm. of our team members that work at Kaiser. So it probably helps that you're intimately acquainted with how it's supposed to work. I imagine that someone perhaps who hadn't built the oven might not have noticed the issue right away. Yeah, and I, I was watching it a lot closer because um, we had this problem with our other oven mm -hmm. uh, a while back. And our original oven is quite a bit older, so I was surprised that this oven had the problem, the newer oven had a problem so quickly. But um, that's why we had the spare parts on hand because we've had this problem in the past. So mm -hmm. when I saw that it was happening, it was frustrating, but but I knew we knew how to fix it because we yeah. had experienced it before. The first time it happened, it was it was a little more uh, frustrating or felt like we didn't know what we were going to do. But. So worst case scenario, if you'd left it untended, what would have happened? Eventually it would have. So what we replaced was a sleeve that kind of, that the main flame flows through and that just ended up getting a hole in it. So then like the flame can kind of go wherever it wants, right? It could go out the hole. And so then it could start a fire because you're not like keeping it contained in the actual oven anymore. Okay. So, yeah, so a quick tip to anyone listening to check your oven sleeve. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're smelling something. Yeah, and it's hard to see from the outside, so good regular maintenance could help with that. It's hard to do maintenance on your ovens because they're running all the time. Sure. So is anything, so, just so everybody knows, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, when we're recording the podcast. Chloe is in Denver, Colorado, when we're recording the podcast. It might sound like we're in the same room. Hopefully it does. That's our goal, but we're not. So what happened in Denver this week, Chloe? Well, we are fairly locked down at the moment. So the main event uh, was a bit of snow a few days ago, and it sounds like maybe we sent that your way. You did. How much snow did you guys get when it came through? Ugh, it's been at least three days since I've been outside, but we probably got three or four inches. Okay, that's about what we got here. That yep. came last night. So after we yeah. were done fixing the oven, I walked outside and the ground was all white and I was dejected because I knew that I was going to have to wake <laughs> up early this morning, Saturday morning at regular work time to go to work and move all the snow, which took three it's hours. It's been a long this time. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've heard the word dejected used in conversation, but that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I shouldn't complain too much because we've had very nice weather. Like earlier this week, I was in a t-shirt outside loading somebody. So like, it's been very nice. It's only like the, really the first snow that has stuck and stayed around, but it just adds so much more work. Mm -hmm. And all the parts have to be moved indoors. Yes. They didn't all get inside, but that'll be a problem to deal with on Monday, I suppose. I think everything's kind of melting off already. So. That's good. That's good. Well, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to talk a little bit about teamwork and communication. Yeah. So I the other day I was thinking about how teams at work and in businesses are actually really similar to uh, sports teams. And I don't think that we think about it like that a lot. I think that we think of sports as entertainment and the teamwork there is important and we highlight that and and kind of seek that out as fans and consumers of sports content. But when it comes to teams in a business, I think we handle it, we tend to handle it a lot differently. We don't always think of ourselves as like a unit trying to achieve a common goal. Some organizations do, but but I would say majority probably don't. And I feel like at work we expect excellence, perfection, and hardly any mistakes. Whereas in sports, we kind of when mistakes happen, we might be frustrated as a fan of that team, but we understand like we're not gonna our team isn't gonna play perfect all the time. So I've been mm -hmm. thinking a lot that like managers are like coaches, and employees are like players or team members are like players. And so when I think managers are like coaches, that's a big one to where managers should be kind of rallying around their team 
always guiding them. Like they're coming up with a game plan. They're not out on the floor actually shooting the basket or, you know, running the football down the field. But they're on the sideline analyzing, watching, trying to put people in the right places. You know, when something goes wrong on the field, it might frustrate them because they coached about it that week in practice, but like they're still coached, so they still gotta continue coaching during that game and and then when it comes to like the team members, how they're like players, you know, they should look I feel like if you if we could get a sporting mentality in the business, then team members can kind of look to their managers as a coach. Right. A lot of the time mm-hmm. like in uh professional sports anyway, it seems odd to me now that I've gotten a little bit older and kinda like when you're younger you always think like a coach is way older than you. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like when you're in middle school or high school and this doesn't have to be like actual stick and ball sports either. Right. Like it could be even like uh, music and band and things like that. Might not call it a coach, but like conductor or whatever. Director. Director. There you go. Um, But like there's usually this pretty big age difference, like all the way from when you're little all the way into college. But then when you get into like professional sports, like these are like grown men and women getting coached by grown men and women, maybe sometimes younger than the coach could be younger than the players. Mm -hmm. And so that is like really related to, to teams and business. Right. And so when we're looking at that, I kind of lost my train of thought, but um, it's interesting that a grown adult players in sports will rally around a coach or will listen to a coach. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like that it's kind of, for me, it's interesting that a group of team members will listen to a manager, especially for me right. because I'm a younger manager and I have a lot of team members that are older than me. So, right. so that. Yeah. And especially when you started, I mean, you were quite young. How old were you? Um, 20, would have been like 25, I think. Okay. And your team at the time, um, what was the general age range that you were managing? Anywhere from similar in age to me mm-hmm. all the way up into, I was not 25. I was like 23. Yeah, I've, been that doing it, yeah I've been doing it for five years. Started in 2015. It's 2020. So yeah, um, like 23. But so I was, the people that we I was working around were same age as me all the way up into like this, similar ages my parents so probably maybe a little younger so like mid 40s it was a pretty wide range so 23 year old you shows up on day one at kaiser blasting and coatings i mean what are you what are you thinking do you have a management style at that point or is everything new uh i didn't really have a management style at that point probably and i didn't wasn't necessarily managing right away but i kind of always had the mentality like whenever i get into something I take it over um, mm-hmm. that just always happens I think all my experience in racing because that was an individual sport um, as far as the performance when you're on the track it's individual but there's also a lot a big team aspect that goes along with it during mm-hmm. the week working on the uh, cars and at the racetrack you have to have a team there to help you know maintenance the car and help set the car up so I had a really good taste of individually kind of like there was a lot riding on me driving, but also trying to get a group of people to um, put forth like a the effort all in one direction to make mm-hmm. the car better. Yep. And so, yeah. and I was to the point where I was pretty much making all the decisions on the race team at that point. And that was a similar time when I was starting at Kaiser. So I was used to, already used to, you know, telling people what to do per se, like, hey, we need to do this, take this off. I want to do this. And then listening to other people's input. Um, And those were always, like, racing was high stress situation. We're having to do stuff quickly, especially if you wrecked. Um, And so I think a lot of, I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of just that experience that I had 
translated into and and even today how I manage and lead. Um, mm-hmm. Early on, I was pro- I got frustrated easier, um, and kind of defaulted to like I'm just gonna do I'll just do this myself. I can just do it better right. myself. Um, but I've kind I've like come around now to understand like yeah I know I can do it myself but that's not the most effective thing for me to be doing so I need to help people do it better not just say well that's not gonna work get out of my way I'll do it no I don't have time Mm -hmm. to to do every single job so right so that on some level requires you to pay attention to who's on your team and what they're good at I imagine yeah absolutely because in the past it was like when you're used to doing like, even though racing was a team thing, there was a lot that I did, did on my own because it, it was more like volunteer. Right. So mm-hmm. no one was there to do it. I had to do it. So you get used to doing everything yourself, how the way that you want to do it. And then when someone else comes along, and wants to do it differently, you don't want them to do it that way. You want them to do it your way. Right. So everybody does stuff a little bit differently. We, at Kaiser, we try to create processes that are repeatable um, and we try to stick to them. And if we're going to change them, we try to talk about it first because little things lead to big things. So if you change something small, it could affect something later down in the line that you aren't thinking about and could make it worse. But I do think it's really important to, to look at people's strengths. Just like in sports, you're going to have a superstar on your team usually or someone really, really good, your go-to person to, to take the game winning shot. And then you're going to have those people that are really passionate. You know, you might have like the sixth man or someone that's on the bench that, you know, they, they come in in only certain situations or, or at the end of the game or in the third quarter when the game's already in hand or something, they might be, you know, the ninth person off the bench if it's basketball. And, uh, mm-hmm. but they have a ton of passion. They're the ones that rally the team. Um, they're the ones that pick everybody up. They're the ones that are always the first ones to practice and the last ones to leave and, um, kind of making sure that everybody remembers that whatever sport they're playing, isn't everything in life. It isn't the only thing there's other stuff that could be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's not the, even though everybody's frustrated that we just lost, it's not the total end of the world. There's other stuff going on. So I think that that's important to have in business also. Um, it's something that I've kind of learned over the last year. It's hard to, I don't, I don't think we think about it very much in business. I think we glorify it at sporting events and the media covers it well. Like if there is a well-known person that, is really passionate, but they're, you know, a, a bench player or they come in as like the substitute or whatever. People usually know them if they like, there are famous people that come off the bench because like, that's their role. That's what they're really good at. But in business, we normally don't let that kind of happen. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they're not good at the tasks that I wanted them to do that I hired them for. So I guess we're gonna have to get rid of them and replace them. Instead right, of right. maybe trying to find a place for them on the team. You know? Right. So in your, I mean, I don't know how much you rub elbows with other managers or especially managers in the powder coating industry, but is it your sense that, um, that most managers in your position don't see it this way? And this is why you're bringing this up. I guess, I guess what would you say is like the traditional management style in the blasting and coding industry? What have you noticed? I'm not around other managers very much. So I, I don't, I couldn't really say for sure. I just feel like in general, just when I talk to just other people in general, right. Whether they're managers or, um, employees that work somewhere, it, I just never get the vibe that they feel like they're on a sports team. Yeah. I never get the vibe that they feel like that um, having a good day of production or completing a project is like winning a basketball game. Right. right? And I understand there's a little difference between like work and leisure, but if you got a good team, they usually like what they're doing at work. And so mm-hmm. 
I think it would get us everybody thinking more like that. It, it just, it, it fits the business fits the sports model so much better than like how it's usually perceived now. I just right, feel like, right. because yeah. not to say that it's like going to take pressure off or that it's more for fun and it's not serious. It just allows everyone to trust each other a little more. Yep. And maybe like put it in the other person's hands a little, like I trust in that you're going to take care of this, mm-hmm. you know, as like, if someone's looking at me as the coach, right? Cause I'm a manager and they can just trust that I'm going to take care of that stuff. And yeah, I'm going to be frustrated when they don't perform just like a coach would, but at the same time, then I'm going to come back and say, well, you know, remember we talked about this and this and this in like in practice in quotes, right? We don't have practice, uh-huh. but like maybe we talked about it on the previous job and then we just learn from it the, sa- the same way that the sports teams do. I will say from the perspective of an employee, um, thinking of it that way does take a lot of pressure off because I, all of a sudden, don't feel like I have to be Tom Brady all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, if I if I have confidence in my abilities and if I know that I'm doing my job correctly, and like you said, I can trust the people around me to do their job correctly and we come together and create something bigger than ourselves as a team as opposed to me feeling the weight of the expectations on myself, which I think honestly is often self-imposed. I would not say that most managers expect their employees to be perfect all the time, but I think it's common for us as employees. And I don't know if it's just women or employees in general to feel this, just this unbearable sense of, Oh, I'm just not meeting every single benchmark I've set for myself. Right. Yeah. And like in sports, they don't either. So it's just like, right. It's the, the hard thing of it is, is that, you know, and, and the reason why we probably don't think about business as a sport is because sport is their games. Usually there's mm-hmm. a start, a middle and an end. But when yeah. we're talking about business, like, so what, what's the start, middle and end? Is that the day? Usually not. You know, is it the project? Maybe, you know, for us right. in the powder coating shop, where do we draw the line? We're do we're doing multiple jobs every day. Was it a good day? Okay. You know, did we win that day? Do we go celebrate mm-hmm. that day? Because to, we got to do it again tomorrow. So that's the reason I think why we don't, there's harder for people to look at it that way. Yeah. Because it's more perpetual, right? It's a, it's a marathon. It's going to go on forever. If we do, did really good, we're still going to have work to do tomorrow. If we did really bad, we're still going to have work to do tomorrow. It is what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I also think the vision you're describing requires just a ton of trust, <laughs> you know, in each other, in your manager, in your employees. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how to build that trust? That's hard. In the beginning, when I was managing, I was very untrusting. But it's just, you just kind of have to surround yourself with, with people that you just get along with in general that you have mm-hmm. a good feeling about, that you would, wouldn't would have a problem being around in any environment, really. Not to say that you would be best friends with them, but just people that you can get along with. And then usually the trust kind of goes from there. If you don't really yeah. like the person or what they stand for or anything that they do, then you're probably just not going to get along. You're just not going to see eye to eye. I think that's it is with everything. That's what there's. Yeah. That's where there's a difference between good and great sports teams or race teams because – the great ones are all getting along really well and like to be around mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. I don't know who said it originally. Uh, I heard it secondhand from a friend, but the quote uh, has stuck with me for many years now. And it's something to the effect of hire the right person and then train for the job. Yeah. And I've always really liked that. So I, when you're, when you're interviewing, when you're hiring, what are you looking for? I just like the gut feeling in my stomach. But uh, that quote reminded me. So there's a Steve Jobs quote, and I'm going to mess this up a little bit, but uh, it's something, it goes to the fact, something along the lines of, we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We Mm -hmm. hire smart people to tell us what to do. Yeah. Which as a manager requires humility, doesn't it? Yeah. I think about that a lot. Like when I, yeah, well, when, um, when we hired you full time, 
right? Mm-hmm. We were, for a while, you were just working very, very part-time and had a different full-time job. But when we hired you full-time and I wrote out your KRAs, the key results areas, at the top to remind you, but also mm-hmm. mainly to remind myself, I put that quote because you're really educated and really smart and you bring a lot of value to the table. So I try to remind myself that we didn't bring you on for me to tell you what to do every day. We brought you on for you to tell me what you think and how you think we should do some things like, and as a manager, the way I've found the middle ground is like, I can't quite, I haven't gotten to the point a hundred percent of that quote where you hire a smart person to all to like for them to tell you what to do all the time. That's hard mm-hmm. for me just cause that's my mentality is hard to just let someone tell me how something should always be done. But I feel like I found a middle ground to where there's certain times where I just tell myself, okay, be quiet. Just listen. Don't, you know, cause yeah. I, I get to talking a lot and talk over people not to silence them, but just cause I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of times, even when me and you have our meetings or before in a meeting with, with a client or something, I remind myself, just don't, don't talk. Let Chloe talk. Mm-hmm. Because like when you talk, I learn a lot of the time. So I can honestly say it's been, I mean, I've been in the workforce for over a decade, but I have never, those words have never been said to me by a manager anywhere ever. <laughs> I don't think it's a common mentality, right? To hire the right person and then have them tell you what to do. That's just not something that people do. It's not the expectation. Yeah. But I mean, um, the thing that I look at it like with out on our production floor is like, I know how to spray powder and I can go over there and do that. And I pride myself on like, you know, I can go over there and run circles around you if I need to. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just what I have. That's my, always been my mentality. Now, could I go over there immediately and spray just as good as our main sprayer just right out of the gate? No, I would, it, after a couple of days, I feel like I could match it because that's my personality and mentality. Maybe I couldn't, but I'm very competitive in nature. So I would try to accomplish it. But they do it every single day. They should be better at it than me. They're the actual craft. Are they going to be better at knowing every single thing about that particular powder that they're spraying? No, I'll probably know a little bit more about every little detail of that because that they don't have time to think about that on a daily basis. That's not their job is to know what product that powder should go on and what special setting that might need. They know how to utilize their equipment. And adjust when they need to adjust. Um, so I, I think we have to remember that just like a coach isn't going to go out, um, like Phil Jackson, when he was coaching the Bulls, wasn't going to go out and play for Michael. Mm-hmm. But he could help put Michael in good situations, Michael Jordan, in good situations so he could be the great player that he is. Right. Yeah, when we were talking about this earlier, you also mentioned Urban Meyer. Um, and what was that quote you were talking about? Uh, it was He kind of was just talking and saying that uh, it wasn't necessarily, I can't quote it per se, but it was basically like uh, when he was coaching, he wouldn't let his assistant coaches say that he had bad, that they had bad players. Reason why, let's say the reason why they weren't they were struggling or not winning. If other coaches said, "Well, this is because we have bad players," he'd he'd tell them, "No, you can't use that as an excuse." We're at a collegiate level. We're in a very prestigious program because Urban always coached at good programs. The players that are here are good. I mean, there there's not a bad player on this team. So he's he would always he told them you have to look under the hood and see what else is wrong. And I can't remember, yeah. he listed off like three things to like look at. Um, but he would always say that you can't, that you, we don't have bad players. And yeah, I mean, in business, you might, it, that's harder to say, right? I mean, I like to follow that mentality. If you have a really good set of team members that have been there for at your company for a while, then yeah, I think you should be able to use that, right? If, if you've had people there for, you know, in a small business, being there for a year is actually substantial, usually, you know? Yeah, And sure. uh, So if you've got a team where most of them have been there for a year, chances are, I mean, you've they've stayed around, you've kept them around. 
they're probably pretty good at what they do. Otherwise they wouldn't be there. So Mm -hmm. when a day goes wrong or a presentation goes wrong, the first thought on a manager's mind shouldn't be, Oh, we, I just need to get, I just, we need to hire somebody else. Like, well, Uh probably not. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I, I, so I found the actual quote you're referring to. Um, it says, never make excuses. When I was a coach, I would never let one of my coaches say he's a bad player. I would warn him, say that again, and you'll probably have to leave because now you're just making excuses. Dig deep and find out why. Yep. Um, which is, I mean, to say to your coach that you might have to leave if that's your mentality, that's, that's major, right? Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, I think, pointed out the difference between a sports team and a business. Obviously, there's more than one difference. Um, but uh, how how do you, as a manager, in the middle of your day and keeping production running and the thousands of things that you have going on, how do you find the time to identify the strengths of your team members? and set them up specifically for success because that's so individualized. I would say that it doesn't really happen on a day-to-day for me. Um, It'd be in my downtime when I get time to reflect. I think when you're Mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment, it's it's hard to do that. And you're going to be dealing mainly on your just own emotions. The better you can control your emotions, the better everybody is going to be for everybody. That's the hardest thing to do. Um, but when you're in the day to day, you're going to say things that you wish you didn't say. You're going to ask people to do things that are outside their comfort zone. They're going to fail. You're going to be frustrated that they failed. Um, so, and that's, that just happens every day. And it's the same thing for a coach in a game when you're losing, try, you know, you had a game plan coming in. It's not working. You're getting out coached. You're asking players to do certain things that you normally don't ask them to do. And so then, you know, you can't usually just like momentum in a sporting event, same thing in a business. One, If you can try to keep a bad day to just the bad day and then mm-hmm. regroup the next day and as a manager, get everybody's mentality back on track, get everybody pointed back in the right direction so you can have a good day. That's the important thing. Just like that's the role of a coach, right? If a team's on a losing right. streak, they're the ones who have to try to get the the players mentally ready to win again. Right. This may be a can of worms that we don't want to open necessarily, so let me know. But so um, how do I ask this? I think that there's not a single person in the workforce who hasn't experienced this uh, where you're part of a team, And there's that one person on the team who everyone sort of secretly knows is actually a bad apple, but for whatever reason, they're like climbing through the ranks faster than everybody else. And they're getting recognition for things they didn't do. And they're, you know, everybody kind of knows that person or has that story, right? At some point in their career. And that person seems completely untouchable. They seem invincible. It's like, they're never going to be fired. They're never going to, they're never going to go away. They're always going to be there as the manager do you always know who that person is? For for just for speaking for myself, uh, yeah, usually. Usually, and I, I've always wondered. That. I wouldn't necessarily promote someone that's that I know is not getting it done. I I have the luxury of that it's a smaller team. We're a small business, sure. so I could see where that would be much more difficult in a bigger environment where it's less one on one, less personable. You only see some of your team members once a month, then I could see where that would be get very, very challenging. And then right. I think you just rely on, you know, I, I think one thing that, pe- that people might find interesting is I would rather somebody that I trust that also works on the team just to come tell me straight up. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. some people are worried that they don't want to tattle or that they're going to be in a bad light or they're not going to be believed, but the people, the team members that know that they're trusted and have been there for a while, you know, 
they should feel comfortable enough to go talk to the manager because that's who they go to. Like there's certain people that I'll talk to to just get a pulse on what's going on because there's certain things that I don't get to hear or see because it gets hidden. Mm-hmm. But I know it's going on because I have my ways to figure that out. Sure. So that just depends on the manager, you know. Yeah, that because if it, if somebody's very very hands off, then I could see where things could happen that they don't really realize. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Which, and as you said, is not a problem at Kaiser because it is a smaller team. Um, at least I don't think it is. Maybe it is. Maybe someone will come talk to me after this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> They'll come out of the, the, the woodwork, out of the hiding place. Yeah. So I, just to wrap this up, um, overall, I think it's just, just, I've been, since I was thinking about it, I thought we should talk about it. It's interesting. It's definitely different, but it's more just kind of like we've made some posts about, I think some blog posts and some quote posts where I said, you know, as managers, it's our job to put everything in our team members' strike zone, Mm -hmm. right? We need to organize it and set it up so they can knock it out of the park. Usually the technicians and, and, and the people out on the floor are really good at what they do. Otherwise they wouldn't be there. And so we need to just, we, we don't ask a, a lineman on a football team to be the quarterback for the fourth quarter. We don't. No, everybody be like, what are you doing? Why, why right. is the coach doing this? This isn't going to work. So we don't ask somebody on our team who, let's say, um, this random example, blasts all day long. Mm-hmm. to like hey i need you to go spray powder today if they've never done it before like and and we want that they're really good at blasting we want them to go over and be as be as best as our best sprayer in the power like that just doesn't make sense right and that's kind of like a rash a brash example right but we you can do that with other tinier things too yep yeah like there's a certain something um when you made uh something for our social media, like a strategy guide, me and you think mm-hmm. so much alike. I was like, when I read it, I was like, boom, understand it right away. Know right where she's yep. going. And then the other person that helps us with social media thinks a little differently. Mm-hmm. So like, didn't make sense to them. But like sure. after clarification, it did. And that's like everything. So that's where right. like communication is super important. Yeah. So in order to put things in the strike zones, you have to know what the strike zones are and they will be different person to person. Yeah. So that's why you just got to pay attention to mainly what people like and what they excel at and then try to get them to do, get stuff for them to do that they are good at. It also makes a strong case for having a diverse team, right? You don't want everyone on your team to be the same person. Absolutely. I say that all the time to a couple of our floor managers you're like, we just need another, I wish we had another you or another me. Uh-huh. Like, like I do too, but then we'd be arguing with them all the time. <laughs> you know, because there's some different level. Like there, there's always has to be a leader. There's got to be a captain right. on the sports team that everybody will listen to no matter what. And they, they can go chew another player out for not trying hard enough, not putting in a good enough effort, messing up. And there's some right. like mutual respect there that they understand they're yelling at them for a reason because they're, they're not holding up their end of the bargain to the team. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a hierarchy, I guess, whoever's more of a leader and more of a follower. But if you get four leaders that all right. four of them always want to lead and they want to say, this is how we're doing it. Cause I said, so then it just doesn't work. You have to have right. a little bit of difference. Or a lot of empathy, which most people don't have. So, Right. I love it. I think this is a wholesome view of the workplace, and I think we would all benefit from thinking about it more this way. Yeah. And I don't, like, I'm a very type A, and, like, it's my way or the highway. But when I started thinking about it, like, it's like sports, it just kind of changed how I thought about it differently. Like, I'm, like most people would say I'm still, like, a tough manager and – can be hard on people because I just have high expectations. You know, I'm a, I'm a, if I was a coach, I am a strict coach because I want to win. 
Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I care about my players. And I'm going to do anything that I can for them. But, like, I'm going to hold them to a high standard because I know right. that, you know, the, the players on my team are good players and I know what they're capable of. So it's my job to push them to their capability and not let them, you know, settle for less than what they're capable of. So absolutely. when I started thinking about it more as like coaches and players that helped me quite a bit because it yeah. allows you to be hard, but at the same time be really caring mm-hmm. too and understanding. Mm-hmm. And for us as players, it lets us really focus on our strengths and feel like we're part of something bigger, which I think is highly motivating. Yeah. And like, and communication like this all kind of revolves around communication. When I was younger, speakers would come to uh, the school or like an assembly and talk about like communication so important. You make sure you learn how to communicate. And I was always like, "What do you mean? Like I know how to talk. Like what do you mean? Like communication? <laughs> I like, speak English. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's really like being able to say something to somebody and have them understand it is really important. And I think good managers or just good leaders in general are the ones who can realize when the communication isn't being understood right there on the spot. When I'm explaining something to somebody, I can see the look in their eyes if they understand it or not. If they don't, I got to maybe have to go show them physically. Maybe I have to explain it differently. Maybe I have to, there's some where I have to relate it to what they do in their world. Maybe they Mm -hmm. like to knit I don't know. So somehow mm-hmm. I got to know enough about knitting when I'm talking mm-hmm. to this person. So I want to explain how I need this process done. I can say like, you remember when you're knitting and you do like kind of like that. Like, Oh, I get it now. Right. Right. Which again requires humility, right? From you. The way that you approached it the first time might not have been the right way. And so you have to find a different way. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of managers don't realize that. And for whatever reason, like I've always been like, like even if two people are having a conversation and I'm just listening, it doesn't even have to be at work. And I can see Mm -hmm. that the other person isn't like understanding how it's being said. And I I usually am understanding it. It just needs to be changed. Um, Right. Like this one person's nodding their head like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. I can tell that they're not understanding. They can't walk away Mm -hmm. from the conversation and do what needs to be done. And so I, I like interject sometimes in, and be like, and, and we'll ask a question to that person that I know that they need mm-hmm. to know the answer to. And then they, they're kind of spinning their wheels. So then I say, okay, what they're trying to say is in, in plain terms, this is what they mean, you know? Love it. And I don't, I've just always been good at that. I don't know why. That's great. So yeah, teams, communication and management. Let's think about it more like sports or like when I say sports, I just mean any type of team leisure activity where that we see in the light of like coaches and players, right. Or leaders yep. and, and followers. Yeah. It definitely changes the expectation for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's transition out of that. That was long talk. We're, I think we're going to try to keep these to about an hour long at the most. So we got, we're like 12 minutes left. So, um, all right question of the week so do we have a question from social media this week that we can answer on here as well we do so a couple days ago we posted a picture of a part um, that had not yet been sprayed for our friends at overhead door one of our larger customers and we had a comment uh, with a pretty interesting question that i did not know the answer to so i would love to talk a little bit about this uh today The question was, this part is typically galvanized and powder coating hates to stick to galvanized steel. What pretreatment works best here without blasting? So the picture was of like a hinge or a roll-up door, and it was electroplate galvanized. So there's usually two general types of galvanizing. It could be hot dip galvanized or electroplated galvanized. And when it's electroplated, it looks pretty uniform. This looks kind of silver, and it looks like a nice part. Hot dip galvanized is a little bit um, not as bright of a gray. Usually a couple different tones of gray, kind of like a checkered pattern. And um, 
a lot messier, could have some runs in it and like some slag and stuff on it. So that's usually how you can tell the difference. Uh, it's, it's relatively easy to get powder to stick to electroplate galvanized because this is a good substrate to try to adhere to. Hot dip galvanized is a lot harder because I don't, I don't know the exact, I'm just going to kind of go off what I think this. So somebody could correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or send us an email and we can talk about it again some other week, but the zinc is more exposed to the air and hot dip galvanizing. So it'll, it'll, it chalks up pretty easy mm -hmm. while it's just sitting there. So it's hard to get coating to stick to that. The electroplate galvanize doesn't really do that. It doesn't start to react with the atmosphere as quick. It can stand alone by itself and kind of hold its, its same form as right after it was galvanized for longer anyway. And so when we go to do a coat electroplate galvanize when we're powder coating, um, we just go through pretty much a normal pre-treatment process, uh, five stage. So we'll degrease it to get, cause there's usually still greases and oils on it. Rinse it. We'll do an acid etch. Um, so we're, we're trying to get bite into that galve a little bit, like on the microscopic level, etch it. So we have uh, some texture to grab to. You won't feel the texture by hand, but it's there if you use aggressive enough chemical and then we'll rinse it again. So that's fourth stage would be that rinse. And then the fifth stage, um, and I don't know if this is right actually, but for the fifth stage, we were, we were using our seal rinse. That's what we normally do. And that's a zirconium sealer. To be honest with you, I don't necessarily, I can't tell you for a hundred percent certain if that zirconium will builds well with the galvanizing on top of it. Um, everything that I know about chemical chemistry tells me that the zirconium should build. It may just not be doing much for you. I think the mm -hmm. acid etch is more important because the galvanizing is, is kind of already the protection there. And, uh, the, the sealing rinse that we use usually increases adhesion no matter what substrate it's on. So that's kind of why we're using it. So then powder stick usually sticks pretty good, um, to those parts. And we, we haven't seen much issue with it. We do when it's hot dip galvanized, but. Okay. So you probably coat less of that. Yeah, we try to. And usually we have to incorporate some blasting when we're doing hot dip galvanized because we got to make sure we get the surface cleaned up and we need a physical profile to make sure that sure. we can latch in. Where the blasting would come in. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Did I also hear you say that the surface of a galvanized part is called the galve? So Did I just, yeah. So I, to shorten galvanize, I call it galve. Oh. A lot of people do. Oh. So G-A-L-V. Like yeah. So hot dip huh. galve. It's just shortening galvanized to go. Great. All right. Um, J this is somewhere we're going to try to do every week. It's going to be called Jace's Quick Take. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover just a random supply or material that is in our stock. So let me get this pulled up. All right, here we go. Okay. So the one that came up is PPG RAL. I just moved again. Exalta Blue Streak 2. So Exalta is the manufacturer. The name of the color is Blue Streak 2. Um, price, including shipping to us, is around like $5 a pound. So this is a color that we haven't used much of lately. We ordered this in in the past for, it's a blue. So it's a kind of a light, bright blue. Um, something maybe kind of close to Pepsi blue, if I remember right. Maybe a little mm -hmm. bit lighter. Um, we don't spray much Exalta. We just don't have a, a, a very big relationship with them for whatever reason. Um, from what I remember, it's sprayed out pretty smooth. Exalta powders usually do spray smooth. Um, but other than that, I don't really have much to say about that one. I think it's, it is a nice blue. We do still have it in stock, and we've used it from time to time, but that's pretty an old powder. I would say that was 
probably maybe from like four, three or four years ago was the last time I remember spraying there. Do you remember the project? Yes, it was used for um, to identify recycle uh, trash oh, cans yeah. instead of a regular trash can. So we were doing like the okay. lids that color because it's, it's really third. close. It's really close to a recycle. Seems like that would be a popular color. Yeah, we just don't consider that like one of our main stock ones. We don't spray very much, so sure. we, we kind of don't let any, we don't allow anybody to select that one, I guess, unless they Got specifically it. need us blue that they're not seeing in our normal stock, then we might pull that one out. It's just not a common one that we spray, uh, mainly because we just, for whatever reason, we just don't spray a lot of Exalta. They're not one of our, our main suppliers, mm. so. What uh, color on your color wall is most similar, would you say? Um, cardinal, one of the cardinal blues. They, they're they both called cardinal blue. Um, BLO5, cardinal okay. blue yellow 5. That is close, a little bit closer to a Pepsi blue. And we spray that quite a bit. Yeah. Since it's one of our stuff. Yeah, I'd colors. imagine that a nice bright royal blue would be very much in demand. Yes, it is. So I'm into racing. We might talk about racing from time to time. Might interview some people from racing from time to time. Chloe is into art. <laughs> um, so Chloe, what's your most recent art project? So my husband just moved into a new office at work and his walls are very bare and he wanted something for his walls. And I was trying to get a sense of what he was looking for. He's like, I think I want something kind of pop arty. And we had Archer on in the background one day and he's like, I want an Archer painting. So I did one, it's an acrylic painting on a wood panel, um, super simple, um, Archer in his gray suit holding a gun. And he wound up taking it to work. And then next thing I knew I was getting texts from people saying, I want one. <laughs> so I'm currently working on one, it's Archer, the Bloody Mary scene. If anyone's a fan of the show, he's mightily hungover. And he has a pitcher of Bloody Marys in his hand and he's drinking straight out of the pitcher. And he's uh, he's praying for his imminent death. So. I, I saw the one that you did for Austin on Instagram, I think. I didn't. It was on wood, you said? You did that on yeah. wood? Yeah, yep. Wow, mm -hmm. that's even more impressive. I thought it was like on a canvas. But yeah, it's nope. fantastic. It looks like it was computer generated or like a picture. <laughs> so I don't know how you did that, but... Maybe you can make uh, like a, find... like a, can you make Archer with a full face respirator and a full Tyvek suit or something? Is that yes, possible? 100%. Or, or maybe if it's just the headshot, just him with a full face respirator on, that'd be cool. I can absolutely do that. Uh, I have nothing but time since we're locked down here. Yeah. So or, or like body. a, in a blast suit maybe, and you can see his face through the blast helmet or something. Yes. Yes, totally. Yep. So, I'll send it to you. Hang it up. Austin is able to go into the office now or no? Uh, he doesn't go often. Okay. Um, every once in a while. He's probably gone once in the last couple of weeks. Are they just spreading uh, people out? Is that why you got a new yeah. office? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else that you need, want to talk about today? Anything that we need to wrap up? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of ground. Okay. Well, this was our first episode of Kaiser cast so hopefully everybody enjoyed it if you didn't still let us know tell us what we can do better um, reach out to us on social media on Facebook Instagram or LinkedIn I like LinkedIn I'm on there a lot so add me message me comment on our posts and we'll get back with you kaiserblasting.com or you can also email us let us know what you want us to talk about we'll see you next time bye Hey, is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water 
I know this job's been difficult. Everybody's getting frustrated. If we can't do it, nobody else can. That's the reason why the job's here, because nobody else could get it figured out. Just keep working at it. Don't get frustrated. We'll keep collecting data, taking good notes, and we'll get it figured out. Does anybody else have anything?